Iowa's Newsworthy Past is a project imagined and curated by me, Kristen Noonan, a newly minted librarian. With help from Rod Library at the University of Northern Iowa, I come through an encyclopedic, handy-dandy, Iowa Historical Newspaper Library Guide to select stories and record myself reading them out loud all in my basement. The music you're listening to right now is by Iowa City's Blake Shaw, and the music you're about to notice in the background is by Memphis resident Brendan Lee Spengler. Tune in and out as your time allows, and please enjoy your totally free, no strings attached, last from the past. It's another day, and I'm glad you're here. Welcome to January 10th on Iowa's Newsworthy Past. Our first stop on this day in history will be in Clear Lake, Iowa in the Clear Lake Observer newspaper on January 10th, 1877. I'm your host, Kristen Noonan. It's a pleasure to be your guide today. Let's roll. School wood. Bids will be received for furnishing wood at the different schoolhouses in the independent district of Clear Lake as follows. At schoolhouse number two and three, 20 cords. At schoolhouse number three and four, 20 cords. And at each of the other schoolhouses, eight cords each. The wood must be good, sound, hard wood, cut and split in suitable length and size for the stove at the house delivered at, and must be delivered well corded up and approved by the Board of Directors before the 15th day of February, 1877. Contract will be let to the lowest responsible bidder at the office of the Secretary on Saturday, December 30th, 1876, at 3 o'clock p.m. By order of the Board of Directors, George E. Frost, Secretary. Tubular Stove this invention by one of our townspeople was represented at the Centennial Exposition and in proof of its merits received the following diploma. To all men greeting, be it known that the Exhibitors Special Committee of the International Exposition, Philadelphia, 1876, do hereby award this diploma to Willis S. Garrison for tubular heating stove Having upon personal examination discovered intrinsic merit consisting of originality, invention, utility, economy, and adaptation to public wants, we therefore grant unto him this special award and the only one given for this kind of exhibit. In witness whereof we subscribe our signatures hereunto. Simon M. Landis, M.D., Sila Olmsted, J.W.R. Hill, William J. Ross, Louis B. Covert, Asa B. Warden, John Locke, D.D.S., William Howes, I.S. Shock, C.M. O'Hara. A joint stock company has been formed and the manufacturing has been commenced. They are a magnificent invention, a great saving of fuel, as well as good heaters. 
Our next stop on this day in history is in Clear Lake, Iowa, in the Clear Lake Mirror newspaper on January 10, 1895. Escaping Taxes The Charles City correspondent of the Rockford Register says the Dexter estate in that city is worth $157,000 and that the owners of it did not pay a cent of taxes on that property for a number of years. Some of the people of that city are urging that an effort should be made to collect the back taxes on the estate. The correspondent suggests that if the Supreme Court cannot mete out justice in such cases, then the legislature should do so at its next session. It is such cases as these that make the tax on the poor man's house and lot and cow too high. Whenever wealth escapes paying its just proportion of taxes, it has to be made up by the property that is in sight, and this generally hits the man that is poor or in moderate circumstances. There is something wrong with our tax laws as long as 150000 can escape paying its just share of taxes. There is a wrong here which should be righted speedily from the Waverly Independent. To say that wealth escapes paying taxes is a decidedly charitable way of expressing it. We prefer calling things by their proper names. The man of means who escapes payment of taxes is a common ordinary thief and there is no use in trying to whitewash him by calling him a financier. These men are found in every community and in other things are sometimes considered quite respectable. Instances have been recorded where they made a profession of faith and united with the church, but these cases are rare as they are expected to contribute to the support of the pastor and that is as bad as paying taxes. These tax escapers think, of course, that they are not known to their neighbors, but they are mistaken. The whole community knows them for what they are despite their seeming respectability and estimate them at their true worth. But the strange thing is that honest men will patronize them and invite them into their homes, overlooking crime and the worship of stolen wealth. It is a mistaken idea that a man can steal from his neighbor in escaping taxes and be honest in other things. The reason the tax dodger has not stolen your pocketbook is lack of opportunity, for the disposition is there. We hope to see them occupying a front seat in that precinct where Dives stood when he called to Lazarus to take one on him. The Governor's Salary The letter of Governor Jackson declining a renomination in advance has stirred up a lively discussion of the question of salaries of public officers. While a few are favoring an increase in the Governor's pay, it is gratifying to note the strong opposition to squandering public money. The argument is that the office of governor is a swell position. He must give swell receptions, he must entertain swell people, and in order to let him cut a great swell, the salary must be swelled. That such swelling means an increase in the burdens of taxation is of course a trifling matter to a swell governor. The facts are the governor's salary is high enough already. He receives 41000 per annum for his labor, and in most cases that is very good pay for the capital invested. 
It was enough for men like William Larrabee, and it ought to suffice for Frank Jackson, or his worthy successor, whoever he may be. The governor of Iowa is a servant of a plain, honest people, 95% of whom are farmers and day laborers, few of whom are able to ex or expected to attend the swell receptions, and if the governor cannot make both ends meet on a salary of 11.25 per day, including Sundays, he ought to make room for a better man who can. Thank God the bone and sinew of the Commonwealth of Iowa are not of the swell class, and there is no good reason why they should burden themselves in order that a few public officers can wear claw hammer coats and hobnob with nabobs. And now from the Clear Lake Mirror newspapers, January 10th, 1912 issue. School building burned to the ground. Great calamity visits Clear Lake on Saturday evening at about 8 o'clock. Loss estimated at $60,000. On Saturday evening about 8 o'clock, the people of our city were aroused by the ding of the fire bell and the screech of the whistle. The fire was reported to be at the schoolhouse. The fire was well underway before discovered, and although the firemen and others worked faithfully, it was impossible to conquer the awful flames. The entire building burned to the ground in a short time. Origin of fire unknown. It is impossible to determine the exact cause of the fire, but it is thought it was started while the janitor was thawing frozen pipes. He had lit a torch and was working with the pipes but noticed no fire until some time after he had finished his work. The flames were first discovered on the first floor of the building, but books, desks, and other fixtures fed the flames, so they soon spread to the adjoining rooms and upper floor. The firemen were handicapped at first because of lack of pressure on the waterworks. Later, the pressure increased. But it was too late to check the fire, which had gained such headway in only a short time. The residences surrounding the schoolhouse were carefully watched by firemen, so there was no damage done to any other buildings. Loss of books. The books, charts, music, and pamphlets were valued at $3,000. There had been $500 worth of books, $100 worth of music, and $500 worth of science apparatus added during the past year. These books, music, and science apparatus being nearly new made the loss so much greater. Furniture destroyed. There was a large amount of furniture and fixtures in the building. There was a piano, two organs, 13 teachers' desks, also some new bookcases and science case valued at $150 that had been put in the building during the past week, about $125 worth of pictures, and some personal property was also destroyed. The teacher's personal loss will average $15 apiece, and Superintendent Che Hawk's personal property in the office will amount to $50. It is indeed a serious loss to the teachers, superintendent, and scholars as well as to the entire town. School board meets. The members of the board have made arrangements to accommodate all of the 440 pupils in the halls and churches. It will be a problem to see all these buildings and secure books and other things necessary to conduct school. 
It will be made as convenient as possible for the present, but it will require considerable time to get back again to regular schoolwork. Plans will be made to rebuild the schoolhouse in the spring. The insurance is $18,000 on the building, but will not begin to cover the loss. School begins Monday. School will begin Monday morning, January 15th. The different grades will be located as follows. The first primary teachers, the first primary scholars, will be in the basement of the Lutheran Church, the second and third grades in Stevens Hall, the fourth grade in Odd Fellows Hall, the fifth grade in Methodist Church, the sixth grade in Christian Science Hall, the seventh and eighth grades in City Hall, the high school in Congregational Church, the superintendent's office in Stevens Hall. Clear Lake in 1859, viewed by Tuttle. H.O. Warner in possession of a circular letter written many years ago. Three to ten dollar land. The mirror has been handed a letter which was written on January 17, 1859, nearly 53 years ago. These letters may not be so interesting to the younger generation as they are to the old. But as the author of this letter, Marcus Tuttle, had so much to do in developing this locality and has so many relatives scattered over the country, it will have a peculiar interest. The letter is the property of H.O. Warner. We are only printing the message that has a general interest. Sometimes we think that this age was a distinctly progressive, but Marcus Tuttle possessed the boom spirit in its fullness, and he was glad to do all in his power to boom the, boom the country. In a part of this letter, where we are not publishing, which we are not publishing, he speaks of the schools and its 30 students. Doubtless that was something to be proud of in that day. But when we think of our present magnificent schools, and the late building and equipment, it would seem almost impossible that it sprung from such a small beginning. This is the article. Description of Clear Lake The village of Clear Lake in Cerro Gordo County is located in Township 96 of Range 22, at the eastern end of the lake known by that name. It was laid out in October 1856 by messengers Dickinson, Tuttle, and Crow since which time it has constantly and rapidly increased in wealth and population. It is upon the direct line of the McGregor and Missouri River Railroad, which now connects at McGregor on the Mississippi River with the Milwaukee and Mississippi Railroad, and will extend westward across the state to the Missouri River. 30 miles of the road are now under contract at the eastern end and the survey has been completed to Clear Lake. There is a good sawmill in the town, and the best quality of walnut and oak lumber can be had for building purposes for from above $18 to $20 per, per thousand. A large hotel, 36 by 68 feet, and three stories high is now being erected by Mr. James Dickinson, which, when completed and furnished, will be equal to any west of the Mississippi River. A large and elegant frame schoolhouse is finished and a good school being taught. 
Regular ministerial services are also held every Sabbath. The citizens are intelligent and energetic people and will extend every facility to those emigrants who may desire to secure cheap homes in this flourishing town. Village lots can be bought at very moderate prices and good farmland in the vicinity of the town may be had at from $3 to $10 per acre, and timber is very abundant for farming purposes. Mechanics can obtain good wages and constant employment. The lake is the most beautiful sheet of water in the entire state and derives its name from the crystal clearness and purity of the water, which is supplied by springs. It is nearly six miles in length, two and a half wide, and from 20 to 50 feet in depth. It is encircled by a large belt of timber comprising thousands of acres of the best varieties. It abounds with fish and an abundant supply of pickerel, bass, perch, and other species can be taken at all seasons of the year. The town commands a full view of this beautiful expanse of water upon which, in good weather, sail, craft, and pleasure boats are always afloat. With its many natural advantages, Clear Lake must become the most important town in northern Iowa and offers inducements to emigrants superior to any other town in this part of the state. Girl is rewarded, Mason City. Miss May Mahoney has been rewarded by the Weir Wardrobe Company for bravery. The young woman, who is bookkeeper for the concern, entered the office of the company the night the plant was destroyed by fire, after the fire had burned off the wires and left the place in darkness and secured the books after opening the safe. Miss Mahoney was unobserved in her act. The fire was directly over the office, but in spite of her danger, she groped her way to the safe, which she was able to open by working the combination even in the dark, and took out the books and important records of the company. And now from the Clear Lake Mirrors, January 10th, 1935 issue. Annual Ice Harvest. 83 men employed. Good quality of ice. Big demand. The lake is buzzing with activity as the 1935 ice harvest began in earnest Saturday. The preliminary work has been in progress several weeks when the chutes were erected. The bank of the lake reinforced, snow scraped off, ice saw stations, and field laid out ready for the first day's business. The loading platform for the many trucks that are hauling ice both for the Clear Lake Supply and outside towns was enlarged and moved from the north side of the chute to the south side to facilitate handling. There are three saws in operation, electric and gas, and are kept busy mostly at night when the field is clear of workers. There are 83 men on the payroll, which means considerable money put into circulation at a time of the year when work is scarce. Ice is being shipped to the Rock Island and the Northwestern Railroad Ice House at Mason City. Trucks from Clem, Garner, Miller, Swallowdall, Fertile, and Mason City are hauling about 750 tons of ice per day from the loading platform. The ice is of exceptional quality 
and planes to about 13 inches in thickness. From the large number of orders in the offing, natural ice will be used extensively during the coming months. The Clear Lake and Mason City Ice Company is noted for the supreme quality of ice. The excellent manner in which the ice is handled speaks well for efficient management. It is floated from several rods out in the lake where it has been sawed into cakes, ready for the splitters in large fields. It is then split into log runner, long runners and comes down the channel, usually one cake wide. Here the splitters stand and with the one stroke of an iron bar, the cakes are separated and run up the chain to the planer. From there, the track runs the length of four or five box cars and the loading platform. As it comes past, the cars, the loaders, pick them off with spikes. There are five cars loading at one time. Ray Sandry is manager, Guy Coyer is field superintendent, and Claren Leith, timekeeper. Traffic cops are placed at the corner of State and 4th and corner of State and 3rd Street to minimize accidents to the traveling public. Furs tell all. Gorgeous sealskins that turn out to be rabbit and regal ermine that no one could prove had it done a bit of alley walking in its day fooled the burr buying public royally in the past. The new retail furrier's code under the NRA has come to the aid of the midwinter fur buyer. The correct name of the fur must now be the last word in the description on the label. Look at the label of the handsome sealskin coat and you may find seal-dyed muskrat on it. That means that the buyer is getting a muskrat coat dyed to look like seal. Since there is a difference in wearing quality of furs, says Miss Iva Brandt, professor in the textile and clothing department, at Iowa State College, women may now buy the longer wearing ones and be sure they are getting what they pay for. Some long wearing furs, she says, are dark muskrat, seal, beaver, and coonskin. Some less durable ones are rabbit, squirrel, broadtail, and silver muskrat. Rural news left over. Mr. and Mrs. Richard Hanley spent several days the past week with relatives at Mason City, while Mr. Hanley substituted for one of the rural mail carriers. Maxine Olert visited her grandparents, Mr. and Mrs. J.H. King, a few days during the school vacation. Mr. and Mrs. George Kimball of Clear Lake visited Mrs. Kimball's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Royal Miller, Saturday. Maxine Olert spent Thursday with Edith, Betty, and June N. Bitt. Mrs. Emma Kirchner, Wilner, Minnesota, is visiting her son, J.C. Olert, and family this week. Miss Leona Humphrey attended a holiday party at the Will Zobel home Tuesday night. Miss Miriam Engbretson returned to her duties at Mount Vernon No. 4 Rural School Wednesday after spending the holidays with the home folks at Thornton. Howard Olert spent Friday and Saturday with Kenneth and Wayne Knutson. Miss Merle Humphrey spent the holiday vacation with her sister, Mrs. Axel Jewell and family. Mr. Anne 
Mrs. Ray Best, and Lawrence Black were guests of Mr. and Mrs. J.A. Hanley Thursday evening. Cards were played, after which a two-course lunch was served. Miss May Conrad of Plymouth was a house guest of Mr. and Mrs. J.H. Hanley last week. Rosemary Latham, who was spending the school year at the home of Mr. and Mrs. C.E.C.N. Humphrey, is visiting her parents, Mr. and Mrs. Francis Latham, Mason City, during the school vacation. Mr. and Mrs. Frank Johnson of Clear Lake were guests of Mr. and Mrs. Axel Thompson several days the, la the past week. Mr. and Mrs. J.B. Ochen and children were guests of Mr. and Mrs. B. Broderson Manley at dinner New Year's. Mrs. Elma Ball and family spent Sunday with relatives at Alden, Minnesota. Democratic majority going slow. Attempts to draw out and get an alignment on members for this session have seemingly failed to a large extent. The Democratic State Administration is said to have a program covering all major legislation and members of both parties have been privately advised and sounded out on all of the big questions. It may not be generally known, but practically every member of the new Senate has been in Des Moines in the last six weeks for private conference with administration leaders. They were asked to come in and were given the done on things to be done. House members have been sounded out mainly on the speakership. Some eight or ten potential candidates are ready to enter the contest, while two or three are mentioned now as leading. By next Saturday, the lineup will be complete and the Democratic caucus to be held that afternoon will decide who will be chosen along with the clerks, secretaries, boot blacks, and bellboys. And now from the Clear Lake Mirror Reporter newspapers, January 10th, 1957 issue. Ladies should take up driving. 56 report shows women drivers aren't quite as bad as men would like to picture them. According to the annual accident report for 1956, filed by Chief of Police Nels Larson with the City Council last week, of the 140 drivers involved in clear leg accidents, 117 were men and 23 were women. The age breakdown showed the majority of accidents involved drivers from 14 to 19 and 50 years of age and over. An analysis of the ages of drivers involved in accidents was shown as follows by Chief Larson. Age 14 to 19, male 25, female 4, age 20 to 24, male 13, female 3, Age 25 to 29, male, 8, female, 2. Age 30 to 34, male, 12, female, 1. Age 35 to 39, male, 12, female, 4. Age 40 to 44, male, 9, female, 4. Age 45 to 49, male, 11, female 3 age 50 and over 
male 27, female 2. As shown in the report, women from 30 to 34 years of age are the safest drivers, while the most hazardous are boys from 14 to 19. Wa Tan Yi Club Meeting features program of games. A mirth-provoking program of games which tested the ingenuity, agility, and physical fitness of members formed the entertainment for Wa Tan Yi Club members who met at Halford's Gold Room Monday evening for 6.30 dinner. Hostesses were Mrs. Irving R. Morgan, Mrs. Harvey Sholand, Miss Wilma Slaughter, and Miss Ruth Toppin. Prizes were awarded. Table decorations were in a winter motif. The percentage of attendance was 1.76. During the business session, Mrs. A. R. Copley's chairman of the welfare committee reported that two large Christmas baskets and a box of food were prepared and presented to two families with a total of nine children. Toys were also provided for the children. A gift was arranged for a former member and a donation of $5 for care packages as Hungarian relief was voted. Mrs. Earl Carey, president, reported that 115 boxes of peanut brittle were sold as a financial project at a profit of $11.50. Mrs. Sholand was top salesman. Mrs. Carey thanked Mr. and Mrs. William Burkhart for their help in the project. The resignation of Mrs. J. Folsom from membership was read and accepted. The family is moving to Mountain Home, Arkansas, March 1st. The birthday of Mrs. James Molly Wellman, January 12th, was announced. For roll call, each member reported an outstanding event in her life the past year. Of these, some were serious, others humorous, and still others philosophical or inspirational. Holiday greetings were received from 32 sister clubs and from the following persons. Mrs. Claris, Clarence, Ella May Knopp, Heidi, Waterbo Waterloo, Mrs. Ellery, Florence Wahlberg, Jensen, Seattle, Washington, Mrs. Bernice, Melody, Tarzana, California, Mrs. Rex, Loretta Ryan, Johansson, St. Petersburg, Florida, Mrs. R. H. Boldrick, and Mrs. W. M. Hubbard, Des Moines, Mrs. Elva Christensen, Esterville, Miss Edna Neiman, Fort Dodge, Miss Jane Weil, Waterloo, and Ronald Heinrich, Washington, D.C. The committee announced the next meeting will be a 6.30 dinner at Halford's January 21st. Mrs. W.C. Whitkey will tell of her world travels. Women's Club Speaker Discusses Basis of Character Analysis in Individuals Clear Lake Women's Club met Tuesday, January 6th at the Methodist Church. Your past is showing. A very interesting and informative talk was given by Martha Barclay, Mason City. As usual, she kept her audience captivated from start to finish. She discussed facial biography, the method fortune tellers use, also known as muscle reading. Each individual has a dominating sense, about 60% comprising visual, 35% auditory, and the rest the remaining senses. 
She said, each person has a color that describes her, such as red, a vivid fiery person, etc. for character analysis. Headlines around the eyes and around the mouth. Listen to the voice. Watch gestures. Each person has an individual gesture all his own. Check the carriage and body rhythm. All these characteristics give a real key to the real character of an individual. Martha Barclay was introduced by Mrs. Leroy Knutson. Mrs. Robert O'Day read the club Collect Creed. The ladies were entertained by a trio composed of Mrs. L. M. Traylor, Mrs. Harry Olson, and Mrs. L. E. Jacobson. At the business at the business meeting, a rummage sale to be held from nine to five at the city hall was announced by Mrs. Jacob John Jacobs, president. There will be a homemade candy for sale. Also, there will be a white elephant sale from one to two. Rummage can be left with Mrs. A. L. Fangman or at the city hall Friday, January 11th. Tea was served to about a hundred women from the drama department. Mrs. G. Reynolds, chairman and a committee composed of Mrs. G. W. Atkins, Mrs. Peter O. Peterson, Mrs. A. R. Bless, Mrs. Everett Graves, Mrs. J. A. Moninger, Mrs. Jim Ransom, Mrs. Jack Yeager, Mrs. John Perkins and Mrs. Richard Van Slyke, Mrs. John Perkins and Mrs. Harry Olson presided at the tea table. The next meeting will be held at the Sunset View School Auditorium, February 12th, with Dr. Robert Powell, psychiatrist and neurologist, Mercy Hospital, discussing preventative psychiatry. Want ads. Miscellaneous for sale. Want it. Responsible party to take over payments on near new spinet organ and piano before january 18th can be bought separately credit manager box 613 eau claire wisconsin knitting worsted yarns all colors konamans for fuller brush sales see floyd fusak mason city employment full-time sales clerk wanted High school education required. Imply in person at Graham's department store. For the farm, for sale, four pen hog house, 10 by 12 brooder house. John Deere spreader, J.P. Anderson, Clear Lake. For the home, for sale, white maple dresser, drop leaf dining room table and kitchen table, apartment size gas stove, and Norge washer and tubs, 241 First Ave, number FL. For sale, good dining room set table, buffet and chairs, J.P. Anderson. For sale, double roll away studio couch, oak dining room outfit, navy and gray gabardine coats, aqua formal plaid lined raincoat. Singer Electric Sewing Machine Repossessed Take Over Payments 5 installments at $8.43 each Better hurry, write Credit Manager 521 Grand Avenue, Des Moines, Iowa Rentals For sale, two-story home, $550 Can be torn down or moved to your own lot 
Bud Tienen Garner. For rent, three-bedroom apartment, close in, upstairs, available now, private entrance, children, reasonable, TJ Farnan. For rent, modern, furnished, one-bedroom house, could sleep four, C. Ray Sandry. For rent, warm, furnished apartment. For rent, first floor apartment, six rooms, and private bath. Clear Lake, G.W. Weaver. Cheaper rent, the longer you stay, the less you pay. All modern, two-bedroom homes on school bus route, gas heated. Services, insurance, all kinds, just call Carl Haas. For rent, new wallpaper steamer, growl paint and decorating store. Insurance, dwelling furniture, auto, bullock insurance agency, office. Painting and paper hanging, George Orthol. Painting, papering, brocade wall, finishing, Fred Linehone. 1322 Main Avenue. For rent, floor sanders and polishers, wallpaper steamer and paper hanging knit kit, gambles, Clear Lake, Iowa. Experienced painter and paper hanger, grat paint and decorating store. For your decorating and painting needs, see Leonard Washburn. That's it for January 10th on Iowa's Newsworthy Past. Thanks for tuning in. Hey there, thanks for listening. Hey, if you liked your ride, remember that you can follow me on Instagram at Iowa's Newsworthy Past. If you didn't like your ride, well, maybe you will tomorrow.